in February of this year, 2013, I was invited to be a speaker at a Bible conference held by Church of the Redeemer in Mesa, Arizona. The topic for the weekend was titled, Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. During that conference, I gave a series of four lectures. Since then, I have made this into 14 messages. There was far more material than I could ever deal with during that weekend. And you're listening to one of these messages. I encourage those who are listening to them to visit my publishing website, which is at triumphantpublications.com. And there you can read for free a written version of all these 14 messages. These messages are also being compiled into a book titled Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. It is going to be released sometime in the mid-June of this year, 2013. My website will guide you on how to purchase a hard copy when available. If you don't want to purchase a hard copy, you can always read the transcript by simply going to my website and clicking on the appropriate box titled Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise Transcript. Also, I have links to all these audio messages on sermonaudio.com under the general topic, Theistic Evolution, A Sinful Compromise. May the Lord bless you as you listen and or read about this very dangerous view that is gaining ground, unfortunately, among certain churches and institutions. In this message, I will be talking about one of the compromisers called the Biologos Foundation. The title for this whole series was chosen for a particular reason. Theistic evolution, a sinful compromise. There are many ways that professing Christians can compromise the faith. Regarding this topic, a failure to give God his due glory is a grievous sin, especially when one caters to a worldview that is in rebellion against God. When one adopts the premises and conclusions of those who are self-confessed unbelievers, then one has seriously compromised the faith once delivered to the saints. When, when one takes the premises and conclusions of men in rebellion against God and then uses their philosophy to reinterpret the plain meaning of Scripture, then one has seriously compromised the faith. Making science as the basis for reinterpreting the Bible, is one of these serious compromises. Such actions challenge the sole authority and supremacy of Scripture. In previous messages, I've demonstrated that the theory of evolution as proposed by Charles Darwin and his sympathizers was and is a conscious attempt to replace the Lord God as the creator of the heavens and the earth and make the universe self-creating. The theory of evolution is a direct assault upon the biblical doctrine of creation. It robs God of his due glory. It assaults man's dignity, being made in God's image. It relegates man to a position of simply being a more highly evolved animal. Now, I fully understand that professing Christians who call themselves theistic evolutionists would challenge my serious charges leveled against them. They insist that God simply used the undisputed facts of evolution as the mechanism of creation. 
theistic evolutionists are quick to say, oh, we reject the philosophy of atheistic evolution. We only adopt the truths that they have uncovered through science. Now, I trust that in a previous message, I sufficiently demonstrated that all facts of the universe are never neutral. They must be interpreted, and they will always be interpreted within the framework of one's worldview. This is why unbelievers interpret the facts according to their rebellious and darkened understanding. One of the great problems with theistic evolutionists is their failure to understand man's total depravity. Men who reject God cannot think straight. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4 and Ephesians 4.17 imply. Men who reject God are slaves of the devil, according to 2 Timothy 2.26. The God of this world has blinded them, according to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Therefore, why would a professing Christian think that such men can understand accurately the universe? This does not mean that only Christians can carry on scientific endeavors, but it does mean that we must carefully evaluate any conclusions of unbelieving scientists. Some theistic evolutionists think that young earth creationism is bad science. That's what they call it, bad science. Why would they even say this? And what right do they have to make this assertion? Also, what constitutes, quote, bad science? The reason that theistic evolutionists think creationism is bad science is because a general consensus of the present scientific community, which is unchristian, by the way, has committed itself to the philosophy of evolutionary thinking. The world calls creationism bad science. And why is it bad? It's bad because creationism challenges not only the presuppositions, but the conclusions of evolutionary theory. I've already demonstrated that evolutionary thinking is outside the domain of operational science. Again, operation, operational science utilizes the scientific method. Historical science pertains to a view of origins that is outside the purview of operational science. Nothing can be observed or tested regarding the origin of the universe. Theistic evolutionists think that evolution is an established fact, which is totally untrue, and I demonstrated that even evolutionists, in the last message that I gave, said that it is unproven. A real case can be made that young earth creationism is best equipped to engage in scientific endeavors because it looks at the facts of the universe from the framework of Scripture. A real case for young earth creationism can be made because this is the most faithful exegesis of Scripture. There's no conflict between Scripture and science because God is the author of all facts. Therefore, we should expect the facts of science to substantiate what Scripture has said. Creationism's presupposition is that the Bible is totally reliable. If the Bible says God created the universe in the space of six 24-hour days, then this is the presupposition we begin with. If the Bible says that Noah's flood was universal, 
then this is true science, which explains the geolog geological data the best. If God says he made man directly and immediately from the dust of the ground, and made woman directly and immediately from the rib of Adam, then this is the proper basis for doing proper scientific inquiry. It's arrogance for theistic evolutionists to think creationism is bad science. There is a growing number of very educated and scientifically capable men who are creationists. And to call their views bad science is a serious discredit to them and their academic accomplishments. It's arrogance to accuse some of history's most capable scientists who happen to be creationists as guilty of doing bad science. Is someone going to accuse Sir Isaac Newton of doing bad science? Several years ago, the cable channel A&E featured a program called Biography of the Millennium. Of the top 100 people who were the most influential of the last 1,000 years. The voting was carried out by 360 panelists, including political leaders, scientists, journalists, and artists. Sir Isaac Newton was voted number two. Some of the men and organizations that I will be discussing are theistic evolutionists. Some call themselves Old Earth Progressive Creationists. While Old Earth progressive creationism is supposedly a middle ground between Young Earth creationism and theistic evolution, it's often hard to distinguish between these Old Earth progressive creationists and theistic evolutionists. Personally, I find the supposed differences between progressive creationists and theistic evolutionists as more of a semantic difference rather than a substantive content difference. Both are essentially evolutionists, only differing in how God uses the evolutionary process. Now, what are the major tenets of old earth progressive creationism, as they like to call it? One, it accepts the age of the universe and of the earth to be billions of years. Two, while accepting the notion of the days of creation, it advocates the day-age theory, where these days of creation are millions of years in length, not 24-hour periods. Third, it generally accepts the fossil record as a history of life over millions of years. Four, it believes that death did not originate with Adam's sin, but that it existed long before Adam's creation. Fifth, it believes that Noah's flood was a local or regional flood, not a universal flood, because the geological data doesn't support, they think, a universal flood according to the consensus of the scientific community. Sixth, it believes that life came into existence over millions of years from simple to complex organisms through God intervening and making new life forms Hence the name, quote, progressive creationists. And then seventh, it generally believes that hominid-like creatures, that is, ape-like creatures, existed before Adam and Eve, but that they were soulless. Now, in an article by Craig 
Rustbolt, Ph.D., titled Similarities and Differences Between Old Earth Views and Progressive Creation and Evolution uh, Creation. He calls it evolution creation. He calls it theistic evolution. And Rustbolt sets forth what he views as the differences. At the outset of his article, Rustbolt sets forth his thesis or his personal position. He says, quote, My view is progressive creation with a combination of continuous, natural appearing creation guided by God plus occasional miraculous appearing creations. But in the book Theology of Evolutionary Creation, I defend the rationality of a view proposing that God used only natural appearing evolutionary creation. Similar, similarly, this page defends the theological and scientific rationality of evolutionary creation. But it's also a defense of progressive creation. Also with encouragement for everyone to be more flexibly open-minded with appropriate humility to think and speak with more understanding and respect. End of quote. Lusbolt refers to himself as a progressive creationist that incorporates certain aspects of evolutionary creationism. He gives abbreviations for these two views as follows. He calls evolutionary creationists EC and progressive creationists PC. In his article, Rustbolt continues by saying, quote, God works actively in two modes, usually natural appearing and occasionally miraculous appearing. God designed natural process, created and sustains it, and can guide it to produce a desired natural result instead of another natural result. Therefore, it happened by natural process does not mean it happened without God. Although atheists often imply this, and unfortunately, so do some theists. In the formative history of nature, evolutionary creationists claim that God used only his natural appearing mode of action. And some evolutionary creationists think that this natural process was guided by God. Progressive creationists claim that God used two modes of action. Occasionally miraculous appearing with independent creations or creations by genetic modification. And natural appearing, possibly guided, evolutionary creationists and progressive creationists both agree that the earth and the universe are old. But they disagree when we ask whether God designed the universe to be totally self-assembling by natural process. Now, I'm sure you might be a little confused, because it is confusing to a certain degree. And that's why the distinction is really a fine distinction. Just keep in mind, both advocate some form of evolution. Rustbolt also seeks to make some fine distinctions within the progressive creationist camp. He says, quote, In Old Earth view, 
progressive creation at various times during a long history of nature spanning billions of years, God used a miraculous appearing action to create. There are two kinds of progressive creation. One proposes independent creations from scratch, so a new species would not necessarily have any relationships with previously existing species. Another process uh, proposes creations by modification of genetic material, by changing, adding, or deleting, for some members of an existing species. Each of these theories proposes a history with natural appearing evolutionary creation plus miraculous appearing creations, independent or by modification. In another old earth view, evolutionary creation, also called theistic evolution, natural evolution was God's method, they say, of creation, with the universe designed so physical structures, galaxies, stars, and planets, and complex biological organisms, bacteria, fish, dinosaurs, and humans, would naturally evolve. This is the view that is described by Howard Van Til, who thinks the creation was gifted from the outset with functional integrity, a wholeness of being that eliminated the need for gap-bridged interventions to compensate for formational capabilities that the, creation, the Creator may have initially withheld, so it is accurately described by robust formational economy principle, an affirmation that the creation was fully equipped by God with all the resources, potentialities, and formational capabilities that would be needed for the creaturely system to actually every type uh, to actualize every type of physical structure and every form of living organism that has ever appeared in the course of time. Russ Bolt describes his view as similar to Jones. He says, I propose progressive creation by genetic modification instead of by independent creations. For more than two decades, I've been proposing, he says, genetic modifications that are miraculous appearing and I still am, but recently I've recognized the distinction between natural appearing and miraculous appearing can be fuzzy. Russ Bolt describes another view of progressive creationism set forth by Hugh Ross, who says, quote, by contrast, uh, Hugh Ross proposes an old earth creation model with independent creations and frequent breaking of common descent. God repeatedly replaced extinct species with new ones. In most cases, the new species were different from the previous ones because God was changing earth geology. Now, in the, it should be readily apparent by any who read these comments by Rustbolt that regardless of the supposed fine distinctions among progressive creationists, and evolutionary creationists, the primary mechanism for the origin of life is still evolution. Having read Russ Bolt's descriptions, he essentially is no different from Richard Goldsmith's 
hopeful monster theory. Again, Rustbolt says his view is, quote, genetic modifications that are miraculous appearing. I think Rustbolt has carefully chosen his words here. He says miraculous appearing. The term appearing is not miraculous, but only appears to be miraculous. Rustbolt is distinguishing his view from Hugh Ross, who advocates independent creations in the evolution of life. It's quite evident that whatever term is used, be it progressive evolution or evolutionary creation, both are evolutionists. Russ Bolt is desperate to find some biblical support for his view of progressive creation by genetic modification. In his article, he states that there is biblical evidence for this in the accounts of Jesus changing the water into wine. The, uh, the change in mass in Peter's healing of the lame man from birth and the miraculous increase of mass in the formation of more fish and more bread in Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. Note the gigantic leap and what I believe false comparison of the New Testament miracles with Rustbolt's view of common descent of all life by progressive genetic modification that still appears miraculous. One only has to read the New Testament and realize that these instances were instantaneous, not some progressive change. Keep in mind that virtually all evolutionists today are still neo-Darwinists, who along with Darwin did not accept what Darwin called saltations, or sudden appearances of new life forms. The term progressive or evolutionary creationist is a misleading term to somehow put God into the equation because these men realize that life just doesn't happen by purely naturalistic means. But the way these men want to include God is still insulting to the true and living God as revealed in Scripture. And it is still a serious compromise of the faith. The biblical evidence is clear. God instantaneously created from nothing all that is. And he then instantaneously utilized some of his created matter to create his creatures. All was done in the space of six sequential days of 24-hour periods. Adam was created instantly from the dust. And Eve was created instantly from Adam's rib on the sixth day. There was no progressive creation there was no progressive evolution showing common descent of man from lower forms of life. Some Christians today of this seemingly obsession with not being called simpletons or anti-intellectual by those in the world. But why should we be concerned what the world thinks of us anyway? The world is governed by the God of this age, the devil. The world walks in darkness and suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Why should we be jealous of them in the least bit? The non-Christian world has successfully won what I call the public relations game. It has fostered this false notion that only their worldview is intellectual, that only their worldview is scientific. As the scripture says in Proverbs 21, 4, quote, proud. Haughty, 
Scofflaw are his names who acts with insolent pride, end of quote. The men and organizations that I will mention have compromised the faith, in my opinion. For some, the compromise is greater than others. Some obviously don't think their views are compromising positions. They think that they are being humbled, open-minded, and diverse, respecting the differing opinions of honorable men. Granted, some of these who advocate the value of diverse beliefs and diverse interpretations of Scripture are sincere in their views. The problem is, men can be sincerely wrong, and they can be responsible for leading the visible church of the Lord Jesus into great peril. It is such compromisers that pose a great spiritual threat to our churches simply because they have effectively undermined the sole authority of Scripture. These compromisers have figuratively bowed at the altar of Darwinism. These compromisers, though some sincere, are the unwitting agents of the devil to figuratively whisper in the ears of the Lord's people. You don't believe those silly stories in the Bible, do you? You really think that Adam was a real man? You can still have your Adam of the Bible, but he was really a hominid that became God-conscious. You really think that men lived to be nearly a thousand years old? You really believe that there was a flood that encompassed the world? You really believe a man could rise from the dead on the third day? Oh, yes, the devil is subtle. The devil is cunning. The devil will find a way to subvert the integrity of Scripture. I have always maintained that once you allow the crack in the dam, that crack, which is the questioning of the historicity of key biblical elements, will eventually burst the dam and the faith of some will be utterly destroyed. Regarding these compromisers, I'll be discussing the nature and influence of the organization known as Biologos. I will discuss a seminar held at this past year's Presbyterian Church in America's General Assembly. I will examine the creation report of this denomination that was given in the year 2000, and I will look at its inadequacies and how it laid that report, how it laid the foundation for continuing compromise in Scripture. I will examine the views of a popular PCA pastor from New York City by the name of Tim Keller. I will examine the views of Dr. Ron Chu in Metro New York Presbytery, who is there with Tim Keller, who has taught in Tim Keller's church. I'll be reviewing a book by Jack Collins, a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary, which happens to be the PCA flagship seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And I will finally, finally discuss the incredible views of Peter Enns, who was a former professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Well, let's take a look at one of the great compromisers, who advocate theistic evolution, and that's the Biologos Foundation. Biologos is a foundation that touts itself as being evangelical, that thinks theistic evolution is a true understanding of the origins of the universe and that of man. I consider this organization as one of the greatest threats to today's visible church. As an unwitting agent of the great deceiver, the devil, it incredibly adopts the basic assumptions and conclusions of atheistic scientists 
and then tries to sanctify these beliefs with Christian truths. It fails miserably. Biologos' philosophy can be viewed on their website at biologos.org. I have personally contacted this organization through its website, expressing my fervent opposition to their views. I express to them that as an evangelical pastor, I will do everything in my power as a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to undermine this organization. I stated that I will expose their organization every opportunity, opportunity that I can, that I will expose their organization any which way that I can. And one of my first endeavors to expose this insidious nature of Biologos was at my lecture series at the Bible conference that I held at the Church of the Redeemer in Mesa, Arizona in February of this year, 2013. On its home page, Biologos has this statement, quote, Biologos is a community of evangelical Christians committed to exploring and celebrating the compatibility of evolutionary creation and biblical faith, guided by the truth that all things hold together in Christ, Colossians 1.17. As I was going through much of this website with its articles and forums, I became very upset. Biologos periodically goes into churches or areas sponsored by various churches having what it calls, quote, celebration of praise workshops where it systematically undermines biblical authority. How dare Biologos call itself and its compromising position with Darwinism as a celebration of praise to God? It does not help having people of notoriety on Biologos' homepage giving words of reference. One such person says, quote, Christians and secularists alike are in the danger of treating Darwin versus the Bible as just another battlefront in the polarized culture wars. This grossly misrepresents both science and faith. Biologos not only shows that there is an alternative, but actually models it. God's world and God's word go together in a rich living harmony. N.T. Wright, Bishop of Durham. End of quote. For those unfamiliar with N.T. Wright, he's an English Anglican bishop who happens to also champion the theologies of the new perspective on Paul and federal vision theologies, both theologies which much of the Reformed world has seen as a terrible theology. My denomination understands uh, the, the views of N.T. Wright as those who that attack the gospel of Christ in terms of his denial of justification by faith alone in Christ. In Biologos' section on Bible and science, he gives an inaccurate understanding of general and special revelation. And it makes the grave mistake of saying, quote, Since both are revelations from God, they both carry God's full authority and cannot be ignored. End of quote. General and special revelation are indeed how God reveals himself to man. However, the two revelations are not in the, uh, independent of one another. General revelation pertains to how God 
has revealed his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, whereby they are clearly seen by all men, rendering them without excuse, according to Romans 1.19. Special revelation is, uh, is God's revelation to man via the Holy Scriptures. Now, whereas general revelation may describe God's wonderful creative nature, it is inadequate to inform man of his, need, of his need for redemption. Moreover, whereas the field of science pertains to general revelation, the scripture alone provides the proper understanding of scientific endeavors. General revelation can never be used in such a way so as to challenge God's authority found solely in the Bible. The problem is that Biologos believes that evolutionary science properly provides an interpretation of the Bible via general revelation. When so-called science collides with a particular view of the Bible's authority, Biologos says this, quote, A better response is to reconsider the interpretations on both sides. When we hear a scientific result that seems to conflict with the Bible, we should look at it more closely. How strong is the evidence? Is there a consensus among scientists? Has the theory been tested extensively? What alternate theories are available? At the same time, we take a closer look at biblical interpretation. End of quote. The website of Biologos continues, and it says, quote, The Biologos view holds that both Scripture and modern science reveal God's truth, and that these truths are not in competition with one another. We believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired and authoritative word of God. Biologos accepts the modern scientific consensus on the age of the earth and common ancestry, including the common ancestry of humans. The Biologos view celebrates God as creator. It is sometimes called theistic evolution or evolutionary creation. Biologos differs from the intelligent design movement and that we have no discomfort with mainstream science. Natural selection, as described by Charles Darwin, is not contrary to theism. Similarly, we are content to let modern evolutionary biology inform us about the mechanisms of creation with the full realization that all that has happened occurs through God's activity. We celebrate creation as fully God's. We marvel at its beauty and are in awe that we have the privilege of experiencing it. End of quote. Now, what are we to say about such comments? Darwinism not contrary to theism? Really? They have not done their homework on Darwin very well. I proved in my previous messages that Darwinism was conceived in rebellion to God. There is no reconciling of Darwinism with the Bible, they are completely antithetical worldviews with respect to each other. Darwin thought that. Huxley thought that. All the Huxleys thought that. And other committed evolutionists think that. There's no reconciling of Darwinism with the Bible. And what does Biologos think about us, young earth creationists? It says about us, quote, We also maintain that young earth creationism Viewpoint stems from a particular interpretation of Genesis that ignores the rich cultural 
and theological context in which it was written. End of quote. Now notice that this statement says nothing about exegeting the passage by virtue of the Bible's own self-attesting authority. And yes, we are ignoring the supposed rich cultural context, which happens to entail pagan Mesopotamian origin stories. The reliability of Scripture is not contingent upon what may or may not be true of extraneous factors. This is nothing but the old liberal theology reshaped that thinks that the Genesis account owes its existence to Mesopotamian stories. Concerning Biologos' view of Noah's flood, they say, quote, the scientific and historical evidence does not support a global flood, but is consistent with a catastrophic regional flood. Beyond its place in history, the Genesis flood teaches us about human depravity, faith, obedience, divine judgment, grace, and mercy. End of quote. Again, take note of who is controlling who. Science, falsely so-called, is calling the shots on whether Noah's flood was universal or not. Hence, Biologos is subjecting the biblical account of Noah's flood to the views of unbelieving men. It is taking Darwinism's commitment to a uniformitarian view of geology as the basis for reinterpreting Noah's flood. Biologos is hardly allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. It's hardly examining the relevant internal biblical data that supports a universal flood that destroyed all mankind with the exception of those eight people on the ark. It's just grievous beyond description that they would call their workshops a celebration of praise. It is so disconcerting. What is Biologos' view on scientific evidence of the first humans? They say, quote, The fossil record shows a gradual transition over five million years ago from chimpanzee-sized creatures to hominids with larger brains who walked on two legs. Genetics also tells us that the human population today descended from more than two people. Evolution happens not in it to individuals, but to populations. And the amount of genetic diversity in the gene pool today suggests that the human population was never smaller than several thousand individuals. End of quote from Biologus' website. Well, what are we to make of this first? This is not true about the fossil record. It does not demonstrate a gradual transition over five million years. I demonstrated in previous messages the woeful inadequacies of the fossil record to prove organic evolution. I quoted from Darwin himself that he understood the problem with the fossil record. I quoted Huxley that there was a problem with the record. I quoted from leading evolutionists of the past two centuries who admitted that there were severe problems with the fossil record proving evolution. Secondly, as usual, Biologos just assumes what evolutionists say about genetics and the human genome. However, Jeff Bernard, a senior research scientist in the Department of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Cambridge, wrote a very technical ar- article titled, Does the Genome 
provide evidence for common ancestry? He says that all this hype of these studies is an overstatement, to say the least. What was the Human Genome Project? It was started in the 1990s and was concluded in 2003. Its primary goal was to determine the sequence of chemical base pairs which make up human DNA. The project was to identify and map the approximately 20 to 25,000 genes of the human genome from both a physical and a functional standpoint. All humans have unique gene sequences. When the human genome is examined among the varying races, it has been found that all humans share roughly 99.9% of their genetic material. They are almost completely identical genetically. This means there is a very little polymorphism or variation. When the human genome was compared to that of chimpanzee, scientists have concluded that 96 to 98% of our genome is similar. Most of the similarity lies in the areas of protein synthesis that carry out various functions in an organism. Other areas of difference between human and chimpanzee DNA appear to involve regions which are structurally different. Thus, the physical and mental differences between humans and chimpanzees may be due to the differences in the sequences and thus functions of the DNA. The all-important question is... Is this similarity of the genomes of humans and chimpanzees definitive proof of common ancestry? Those committed to an evolutionary worldview declare that it does. However, why would certain similarities point to common ancestry? Genetic similarity can also point to a common creator. By the way, that 2 to 4% difference in the genome is actually millions and millions of bases that is, individual component, components of the DNA. This difference is no minor thing. And I need to reiterate what I showed in, in a previous message. The Word of God is primary and authoritative, not the opinions of men, especially those in rebellion against God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 39, it says, quote, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. In the quote from God's precious word. Similarity between humans and other creatures does not point to common ancestry. From a scientific point of view, let's consider the 2 to 4, 4% difference between chimpanzees and humans. In terms of the quantity of chromosomes, apes have 48 chromosomes, and humans have 46. While they are close in number, the differences between the two are profound. Chimpanzees have no anatomical capacity for speech, much less the intelligent capacity to carry on symbolic language, unique only to humans. But guess what? Scientific inquiry is not static, and the once-touted similarity between humans and chimpanzees as being 96 to 98 percent has been revised to be about 70% now. In a very recent article, February 20th, 2013, Jeffrey Tompkins has said, quote, A common evolutionary claim is that the DNA of chimpanzees and humans are nearly identical. 
However, this oversimplified and often touted claim is now becoming much less popular among primate evolutionists as modern DNA research is showing much higher levels of discontinuity between the structure and the function of the human and chimpanzee genomes. This change in attitude within the secular research community was well characterized by leading primate evolutionist Todd Proust when he made the following statement in the abstract of a 2012 Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America Review. It is now clear that the genetic differences between humans and chimpanzees are far more extensive than previously thought. Their genomes are not 98 or 99% identical. End of quote. Tompkins continues to say, quote, while chimpanzees and humans share many localized protein-coding regions of high similarity, the overall extreme discontinuity between the two genomes defies evolutionary timescales and dogmatic presuppositions about a common ancestor. The Human Genome Project does not show man's common ancestry with apes. Biologos is simply showing its commitment to an evolutionary worldview and then trying to wed this with the Christian faith. It just won't work, and it is a blatant attack upon the integrity of Scripture. Well, what else has Biologos said, if all of this isn't bad enough? Were Adam and Eve historical figures? Biologos says, quote, Genetic evidence shows that humans descended from a group of several thousand individuals who lived about 150,000 years ago. One option is to view Adam and Eve as a historical pair living among many about 10,000 years ago, chosen to represent the rest of humanity before God. Another option is to view Genesis 2 through 4 as an allegory which Adam and Eve symbolized the large group of ancestors that lived 150,000 years ago. Yet another option is to view Genesis 2 through 4 as an everyman story, a parable of each person's individual rejection of God. Biologos does not take a particular view and encourages scholarly work on these questions. End of quote. Now here is a peculiar and a disturbing view of Biologos because it asks the following question. Did evolution have to result in human beings? Here's what Biologos says concerning that question on its website. Quote, because evolution involves seemingly random mutations, it seems that the earth could have been the home of a different assortment of creatures. But belief in a supernatural creator leaves the possibility that human beings were fully intended. As an example, this response will address the question of whether biological evolution necessarily had to result in humans. Since the process of evolution has seemingly random mutations as a starting point, it seems possible that Earth could have been the home of an entirely different assortment of creatures. First and foremost, God is sovereign and timeless, so it is certainly possible for God to create humans through an inevitable process that appears entirely random, even if the process were proven to be random 
the possibility of God's guidance in the evolutionary process still exists. Another possibility is that God intentionally integrated freedom in the evolutionary process and chose not to predetermine every detail of its outcome. Concerns that the human species might have evolved by chance come directly from the definition of evolution or the process that begins with the unpredictable mutations of an organism's DNA. To the best of scientific knowledge, there are no determinate rules that requires these mutations to take any one direction over another. The late paleontologist and author Stephen Gould writes, quote, alter any early event ever so slightly and without apparent importance at the time, and evolution cascades into a radically different channel, end of quote from Stephen Gould. It seems, Biologos continues, it seems, therefore, if human DNA had gone in a slightly different direction, a very different species may have evolved. We play the tape a million times from the beginning, writes Gould, and I doubt that anything like Homo sapiens would ever evolve again. End of quote from Biologos' website. What are we to make of this? These statements are unbelievable, and they are appalling. Appalling that life, life could have taken a different path on earth, that man, as we know him, could have taken another path. Biologos states that there was a distinct possibility that God chose not to predetermine every detail of the evolutionary process. If there was ever an outright denial of Scripture, here it is in, as a glaring example. Biologos thinks it is plausible that if human DNA had gone in a slightly different direction, a very different species may have evolved. So God choosing us from the foundations of the world would be denied. So the creation of man as we know him may not have been possible. In other words, when God said, let us make man in our image, this had a good chance of not being true. So, man may not have been in the eternal plan of God after all, says Biologos. This is the obvious inference of their statement. Unconscionable, I say. Can you see how blatantly these statements of a so-called evangelical group who has what they call praise worships have utterly, utterly contravened the Bible's teaching on election and predestination? What is Biologos' workshops praising? It's surely not praising the God of Scripture. If this wasn't bad enough, Biologos goes on to say and asks this question, did death occur before the fall? Biologos says this, quote, Humans appear very late in the history of life. The fossil record clearly shows that many creatures died before humans appeared. This appears to conflict with Bible passages which describe death as a punishment for human sinfulness. However, the curse of Genesis 3 was that Adam and Eve, not the animals, should die for their disobedience. Therefore, animal death before the fall is compatible with Christian doctrine. End of quote. Well, oh, so much for Romans 5, I say, that death came into the world due to Adam's transgression, according to Romans 8, that the creation had been subjected to futility and awaits its own redemption, 
when Jesus comes back, so much for Romans 5, so much for Romans 8. Why don't we just rip it out of the Bible? Because the facts of modern evolutionary science say otherwise. See, according to the theistic evolutionists, according to biologos, we must alter our views of the Bible to fit in with evolutionary science. It is unbelievable. Biologos goes on to ask the question, isn't the origin of life highly improbable? It answers this question by saying, quote, From all we know about the state of the earth three to four billion years ago, and what we know about the complexity of the building blocks of life, DNA, RNA, amino acids, sugars, no entirely plausible hypothesis for the spontaneous origin of life has been found. But this doesn't mean that supernatural activity is the only possible explanation. The fact that there is no answer today does not mean there will be no answer tomorrow. Though an explanation for the origin of life is currently elusive, this doesn't mean divine intervention is the only possible explanation. There are many unexplained natural phenomena. The origin of life is simply a particularly compelling example of an unsolved mystery, uh, which we would like to understand. Through the origin of life, or that is, though the origin of life could certainly have resulted from God's direct intervention, it is dangerously presumptuous to conclude the origin of life is beyond discovery in the scientific realm, simply because we don't currently have a convincing scientific explanation. End of quote. Well, hold on here. I thought Biologos recognized the Bible as an authority of sorts. No plausible hypothesis for the spontaneous origin of life, life has been found? What? I thought the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I thought the Bible said that God said that he made man in his image, both male and female. Everything that I've said, everything that I've quoted, I've derived all this information from Biologos' own website. I have quoted to you directly from their website. So let me ask my listener, do you consider this an evangelical group worthy of the name evangelical, much less Christian? I urge you to go to their site and read their forums, their articles, which I have bothered to do, and I'm just giving you a glimpse of them. Do you find Biologos as a danger as I do? then write them and tell them what I wrote to them months ago. Reiterating what I said earlier, I said that as a pastor, I am appalled by your views. They are insulting to God. They are insulting to his word. And I will do everything in my power to undermine your influence. I will expose you every time I can of the hideous danger that you are. And I will encourage everybody to do the same. It's amazing that there are several PCA pastors who sponsor these, this organization in their church. We have a real problem on our hands in the visible church.